This is Making Stitches and this time dyer, printmaker and artist Tracy Fox shares her creative story of how her love of working with cloth helped her come to terms with the effects of a life-changing accident. When I had that accident and I was trying to recover from the, the consequences of it which turned out to be quite life-changing, that's where my focus mentally went. Um, I just felt I was just constantly thinking about what I, what ideas I had for the next piece of work I was going to hopefully work, be able to work on. So I suppose it was a distraction, but I would describe it as rehab, really. Um, and so I, once I was physically able to start doing things, although on a restricted scale, I went back to my creativity as a, as a refuge, if that makes sense. And then as that developed, the natural progression was starting to sell my art cloth to other textile artists who used it in their work. Hello and welcome to Making Stitches. I'm Lindsay, a lifelong crafter, an amigurumi crochet designer and journalist. I love to hear people's stories and in each episode of Making Stitches I share a creative chat or chats I've had with inspiring makers from the worlds of textiles and yarn crafts. This week I'm staying close to home in Manchester. I made a short trip to visit Tracy Fox, a dyer, printmaker and artist based just down the road from me, who's the person behind the brand new Great Northern Textiles show, which is happening later this month. Tracy told me about her own creative journey, why she wanted to host a show like this in Manchester, as well as showing me around her workshops. Here she is now. I don't remember a time that um, creativity wasn't around, and I'm using the word creativity in quite a broad sense. So I grew up with lots of strong women around me who... Um, you know, if they want to see something doing, they did it themselves. And it didn't really matter whether that was, you know, laying a carpet or decorating or knocking down walls or whatever. Um, you know, they would get they would get stuck in. And I grew, I, I don't know what it's like to grow up in a household that doesn't have a sewing machine either. Um, so my great-grandmother taught my nana and my nana taught my mum and then she taught me. So um, I remember the... The heritage of going from a treadle to an electric treadle. I'm making myself sound very old now, I know. Um, and then we had an industrial machine because my mum always sewed. Um, but not patchwork and quilting. Um, that came much later. So the short answer is always. I've always had creativity to some degree um, around me. And I would feel like there's a huge hole if that didn't continue. Yeah, I'm sure a lot of people can identify with that. Um, at, at what point then did it tip over from being a hobby to being your your main endeavour? Um, right, well, I suppose you can pinpoint that really to 2013 where um, my previous life, as I'd like to d describe it as, um, as a clinician in the NHS, ended following an accident. And I'd, I'd already been... Be, I'd already been creating with cloth and different techniques, printing, um, using things from my garden, uh, which is now fashionably called eco-printing, but there wasn't a name for it then really, um, and using the rust, um, rusty metal. I was already experimenting with that. I was already on the path, shall we say, for 
working with cloth and surface design techniques and particularly art quilting as well and then when I had that accident and I was trying to recover from the the consequences of it which turned out to be quite life-changing that's where my focus mentally went um I just felt I was just constantly thinking about um what what ideas I had for the next piece of work I was going to um hopefully be able to work on so I suppose it was a distraction but I would describe it as rehab really um so I, once I was physically able to start doing things although on a restricted scale I went back to my creativity as a, as a refuge if, if that makes sense um and then as that developed the natural progression was starting to sell my art cloth to other textile artists who used it in their work, starting to attend events with a stand, which is absolutely nerve-wracking. Um, and I must admit, the learning point from that was I much rather, I much prefer to be away in my studio, surrounded by my dyes and, you know, cloth and all the rest of it, than stood in front, stood stood behind a stand selling to, selling to visitors. It, it, it took me out of my comfort zone that did um so that's where that's where it started really that was the tipping point and it just progressed from there and i believe that having visited a particular show for several years and then taking out a store yourself you you found yourself running it I did, yes. In 2014, um, I had my very first stand selling my artwork at um, an event in Nantwich that happens every year in January. And it was a long-standing event that I had indeed been going to as a visitor for a number of years. So I had my very first stand there. And then in 2017, the organiser approached me and asked me would I consider taking it over because she was retiring. Um, and it was it's such a lovely show. that It's, it's now the Quilters Exhibition and Fabric Sale in Nantwich and it's such a social event as well and it was very much the start of the the creative year because it happens sort of the third week of January something like that so I didn't want it I didn't want it to end um and I said yes and it will be in its 20th year coming this January coming so um I've been doing that you know apart from the year that we missed with lockdown I've been doing that for five years wow and what's the, what's it like then going from being a visitor to a stall holder to actually running an event like that? Um, that's a good question. I've never really considered that before. I suppose it was just a natural progression that I haven't. I've, I've never stopped to think why or how or. Um, I, I suppose I'm very, from my clinical background. I'm very used to wearing many hats. So. Um, you know, even though I was organising the event in Nantwich, I was still event- attending other events as an exhibitor. So they all sort of run together, if that makes sense. It wasn't the end of one and the beginning of the next one and the end of that and the beginning of the next. It sort of continued as a progression. And um, the reason why our paths crossed was because you have a, a brand new show. <laughs> I do indeed. I do indeed. You think you think I would have to, to my home? That's for sure. Yes, definitely. Well, having organised the Nantwich event, um, I had had an idea for a long time to do a second event, but this time in Manchester. Um, and there's lots and lots of threads to this sort of idea that I had. One was, you know, we don't really have a show um, in in our neck of the woods in in sort of Greater Manchester. Um, 
that celebrates textiles in the way that I wanted to bring different threads, pardon the pun, different threads together from the textile world. Um, You know, we all travel a great distance to go to other big shows, and I certainly do because I'm a bit of a show addict. Uh, I do love going to see other people's works and exhibitions, and I wanted the opportunity to offer that opportunity to groups um, as as well as exhibitors who sell. to creative like like you and I so there was lots of threads to that and the idea wouldn't go away um, and for a series of reasons my ability to continue with the um, exhibit being an exhibitor that wearing that hat has come to an end um, following a, a number of elements that have come together one my existing problems physical health and then having covid um, sort of sealed the deal shall we say in terms of the long-term consequences of that so as one door i don't know who said that as one door opens shuts another one opens or whatever it whatever the saying is so as the attending the events came to an end it sort of provided an an opening to bring the idea to life um and that's in terms of timing that was the rationale for that but I wanted to do something that was different to the Nantwich event. I didn't want that to be the Nantwich event, but in Greater Manchester. And I very much wanted to celebrate textiles, which is the you know the the name of the show is Great Northern Textile Show. But the strapline is actually celebrating textiles because that's the that's the the idea behind it. And I wanted to bring lots of different art forms together. And I deliberately used the term art forms. Um, you know, spinning, weaving and dyeing, um, textile art, knitting, crochet, patchwork and quilting, um, felting. I mean, there's some magnificent work out there, you know, from a felting perspective, um, as there is in all the disciplines. And I wanted to be able to give a vehicle to showcase that, but also not in an elitist way, because none of us are born making gallery-worthy art right from the get-go we all start somewhere whether it's in childhood whether we come to it later in life as an adult we all start somewhere so as i say there's lots of there's lots of strands to this show and and one of the other ones was making it making the giving the opportunities for when people visitors arrive that they feel comfortable and they're not a million miles away from the textile art that's going to be on display but giving them the opportunity to interact um, and that's where the guilds come in and they will all be interactive. You'll be able to uh, see demonstrations of spinning and weaving and felting and patchwork and quilting and knitting and crochet and you'll also, those guilds will offer you the opportunity to have a go. So for those people who I've always wanted to have a go and I've never got around to it. That opportunity's there. And also for people who've started but want to progress in a particular direction, hopefully that was something for them too. So there's a there's a there's a number of threads to it really, and that's just a few just a few of them. Lots of objectives and lots of boxes to tick for this show. Indeed. And of course Manchester itself is built on textiles, isn't it? So it's it's a very important part of our her- heritage. Absolutely it is. And and it's one I mean I, I don't I'm not aware of everything that happens across the region, but we don't have a focused event or show that you know there might be lots of groups that incorporate it as a theme and they'll put on a on a local exhibition um 
But in terms of something that draws the city together or even the region together, because obviously, you know, Lancashire and even Merseyside, you know, we have uh, a shared history from a textile point of view in some ways. There, there isn't a showcase for it in the region and um, it's a shame and you know I'm not saying that the the show the Great Northern Textile Show will fill that huge gap but it might be a toe in the water and you know if people come and they become they be inspired or they sign up for a workshop because a lot of our exhibitors they teach as well as as exhibit you know if somebody comes to any of those art forms as a consequence of coming to the show I'll be really chuffed that's wonderful now you said that you as well as being actually geographically in the north the location the venue for the event you've chosen exhibitors who are from the north as well yes I have and I suppose that that continues to feed into the theme of the um our heritage um element of it so I the show is curated so I have gone around and I've looked at uh, the different art forms I've met the pe- I've met the people um, in advance and personally invited them to exhibit at the show whether that that as a group exhibitor or the main exhibition or um, having a stall selling um, you know creative kits and uh, supplies whatever that may be so yes we have um, people as local as Salford um, the textile artist who's exhibiting Leah Higgins she's she's got a studio in Eccles in Salford um, the, uh, who else have I got I've got somebody coming from Northern Ireland um, I've got fabulous um, creatives coming from the northeast um, it's not exclusive to the north, to the northwest uh, and, and further. Um, we do, ha- we have allowed people in from the Midlands as well. Um, but that basically, it was the focus was that. But it, it is a, it is a bit wider than that as well. But yes, I was trying to get, I was trying to celebrate not only our heritage but also the local uh, excellence that we have on offer, uh, which often doesn't get to be seen. No, that's very true. I think often craftspeople are beavering away in their own little bubble and it isn't and, and also unless you are part of a guild or a group or part of a particular craft community you can be completely oblivious to the fact that these wonderful things are happening. Yes, definitely. Um and I think also because my experience of the Nantwich was sh- Nantwich show was very much rooted in it brought people together you know people met there that might not see each other that often in the rest of the year and the atmosphere was very much of um positivity and creativity and um and 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 mixed with the social aspect of it and in terms of the the new show I'm hoping that it brings people together. Uh, you know, it's an opportunity to say, "Oh, you, have you heard of this show? Should we go together?" So it's not just a case of people coming, to, you know, visiting the show uh, in a group, but they might meet other people there that have a shared interest, or they might um, see a group that they didn't even know existed, or they might see a, join a guild because they didn't even realise that existed. I know when, you know, I first um, discovered patchwork and quilting, I didn't know the Quilters Guild of the British Isles even existed because it wasn't something that. I'd been raised with, you know, it was a completely separate world that I discovered at the Festival of Quilts in 2008 and I've been obsessed since. But um, hopefully, you know, if if people discover things that they didn't know or it reinforces their love of something, then that all of that's good. 
So where is it and when is it? <laughs> oh, right. Well, it's in uh, Ermston in Trafford, which is in Greater Manchester. And it's on Sunday, the 23rd of October. Um, and it's 10 till 4 and tickets are available online from the website. Now, as well as speaking to me about the Great Northern Textile Show, Tracy offered to show me around her workshops or, as she likes to call them, rooms of requirement. First of all, we took a look around her dye room. So this is where um, I do my wet work, printing, dyeing, but it also has to act as a storage. So as I'm making it, or accumulating it, shall we say, um, this is where it finds its home. And also, if when I'm doing events, um, exhibiting my work, this is where all the storage, so the stand and the uh, display things need to go. So it has, um, it really is a room of requirements because it, it has to have multiple functions basically absolutely but i think and anybody who does anything crafty they never have enough room for all their stuff <laughs> do they <laughs> most most definitely not most definitely not so this is um I, I prefer to dye um and print outside if i can and particularly the rust um the rust print so all of this fabric here yeah. is made with um it's a contact printing method basically using rusty metal so i'll show you in a second my um I describe it as an unhealthy or a healthy collection of rusty metal and then you're, it's up to you to decide which one of those that it is when you see it. Um, so this is something that I started with really early days with the print, uh, with the, the um, get mark making with rust, rusty metal basically. And what, what I love about this is a couple of things really, probably more than that. Um, one is you never get the same print twice so I can use the same piece of metal wrap it in exactly the same way follow the exact same process and I'll get a different so like these pieces here you know I'll get a different mark you know mark made each time and if I wrap it a different way using the same metal I can get a different mark if um, I use the metal over time it's degrading because it's rusting so that changes mm. so it's not a case of here's a stamp or here's a, a screen with a perfect image on it and you'll be able to replicate that it's very much an organic process of you know you're not too sure what you're going to get and I, I actually considering my con perfectionist control freak tendencies um, it's a constant surprise to me that I love you're not gonna you don't you don't entirely know what you're gonna get so the other technique that I use a great deal is shibori this is an example of shibori so oh, shibori is um, an ancient Japanese technique and I'm very much drawn to techniques that have a history and um, an artistry to them and they're passed down from generation to generation and I suppose that ties in with my own experience of my the women in my family teaching the next generation how to knit and sew and dressmaking it etc so I'm very much drawn to shibori and the other aspect of it is it's not quick you know you have to invest time in particularly the stitched resist ones I mean it can be quick um, uh, but it, I tend to like the 
investment of time that you put into it that that appeals to me um, I also like the fact that you know Shibori artists of old they weren't considered masters unless they've been doing it for 20-30 years or something ridiculous like that so that sort of appeals to me as well um, and just the many facets of it I mean the work that you can see here the different examples this is a stitched resist one so that's the same technique um, but just applied differently on the cloth so I'll do rows and rows and rows of stitching um, pull it really tight so you've got like a really tight concertina in whatever shape so obviously this is a, you know in a circle yeah. uh, format and this is more linear um, and then I'll apply the dye um, the concentration of the dye will make a difference um, the temperature will make a difference the color mixing how wet or dry the fabric will be so there's a long list of elements that can affect the outcome of what you get and you can either just go with the flow or you can try and manipulate them to steer it in a particular direction but even if you do that you're still not sure what you're going to get which again I love so this is a stitch resist and with shibori shibori is um the umbrella term for um not a, di a direct translation but to ring squeeze or press and then each technique so whether it be a resist technique or, or you know, using stitch or using blocks, each technique has a name and then each pattern that you get underneath that technique also has a name. So this is Nuishibori, which is a stitch, uh, stitch resist technique. Some of the other ones are using blocks. So those purple pieces, you see the purple and white squares yes. there. So these are a Itajimi. Um, technique where you manipulate the cloth in a certain way and then you'll apply a shape and then where the shape you bound it really tightly and where the shape hits the fabric obviously the dye can't get in there yeah. so you, you're left with that shape as the resist but what I always do is I like to work with wet cloth because you can probably see from these pieces I like what I describe as the bleed I, li yes. I like the dye to travel it's not a harsh barrier between yes, the dye and the, the, that's the right. naked fabric. If I wanted a circle, I could print a circle. If I wanted, um, you know, a hexagon or whatever, or whatever it might, or a tree shape, you know, if it was more literal, I can get that by, you know, from other means. But what I like about this is that each piece, I mean, you can see I've used this um, similar circular um, resist, it's acrylic shapes basically that I've clamped, but they're three completely different pieces because mm. of the way I've applied the dye, um, the strength of the dye, how many times I've, I've applied it to a particular place, whether I've applied it in the middle and I'm trying to enhance the bleed, mm. that sort of thing. So I like the experimentation, I suppose, is the, uh, is the summary from that, really. Yeah, and I get every piece that you do is utterly unique. It is, it is. And and that's a conscious decision in some ways because I'm not a machine. I can't compete with a commercial fabric house. I don't want to compete with a commercial fabric house. Commercial fabric is brilliant um, and it's very good. You know, I can't compete with that. And also, um, I don't know how to explain this, the working with your hands and producing something that you have put your heart and soul into that's where my enjoyment lies um, not the repetition of the same thing mm -hmm. over and over and over I'd get bored to death with that to be honest yes. I really would you know each time um, this piece of fabric that you can see here this is um, 
uh, it's just a uh, scrunch technique but I've applied um, th three or four different coloured dyes and I've let them mix on the cloth so we now have a transition from blues to purples to reds to orange to oranges to yellows um, and the way I've manipulated the cloth you can see here there's a different textural um, effect uh, to this piece here which is more linear um, so you can play about with that and, and if I wanted to replicate that piece if you if somebody said to me oh I love that can you make me one I wouldn't be able to it might come close because I could replicate the process but the outcome would be different yeah wow that's amazing <laughs> do you think so absolutely and the colors you've got are just stunning so it kind of uh, it's like next level tie-dyeing isn't it <laughs> <laughs> yeah I mean I'm, I'm glad you've mentioned that because a lot of people they'll they use the the um the description tie-dye in a very derogatory way as well oh it's and I'm, if i had a penny for every time somebody said to me oh it's only tie-dye uh, and and that that taps into something else that's um a big a big issue that i think we have is the the perception around textiles and it not being art mm. and um oh, anybody can do that, it's only cloth, you know, that sort of idea. And I think it's only when you start working with cloth and exploring the options that you, you know, the surface design options, um, and this is even without stitch, um, you know, printing, and you can see here some of these are breakdown printing, um, which I learned and I've added to my repertoire from following a course with Leah Higgins at her studio in, um, in Eccles, and she's the master of breakdown printing. And I also love um, using my handwriting. I love text in textiles. I absolutely love text in textiles. So this is a thickened dye in a bottle and I've used it like a marker mm. um, and then just written over and over. So this is the same word written over and over. Um, and as you can tell from my house, my cloth and my dress where um, blue is definitely my thing. So. Um, I, I like the the variety and you can bring these together in a a cohesive way in a piece of work like an art quilt yeah yeah um so yes so would you like to see my healthy unhealthy collection of rusty metal i'd, I'd love to <laughs> walk this way just be careful because it's a bit of a maze in here um the other thing where i started from as well was printing from the garden Yes. I started with that around the same time as I'm going back well 13 years it must be it must be at least 12 years ago. So this is my outside um, work, workspace shall we say. Once people know that you collect me rusty metal you'd be surprised everybody wants to give you their rusty metals and I can't say no, I'm a bit of an addict. So although it looks horrendous, the, you know, these tin cans there, um, next door gave me, he's an engineer and he gave me some, uh, that's what these pieces are, that look like big fat washers, uh, screws, um, saws, some of my saws that have gone rusted, that were blunt, so I left them outside to rust spanners, screwdrivers, this piece here is a drill bit and when we were having work done on the house I used to come home from work and this was a good few years ago and I used to get in the skip and see what they'd put in the skip from the day's work and that metal um, 
drill bit basically which is a good six inch in diameter if, if not more um, is used to drill through the masonry to bring your pipes through yeah and I thought oh that'd be great if it was rusted so I've made some fabulous pieces with that um, and people don't believe that it's actually a rusty drill bit <laughs> um, and uh, yes this is a crankshaft so a lot of my hand uh, hand printed scarves have been made with the crankshaft as well Blimey. and there's more underneath there Gosh, so your, your fabric really tells a story, doesn't it? <laughs> well, I like I like the idea for for the, the metal that it has another life. So these pieces here, they were um, um, cooling rack. You know, from from when you would take something out of the oven. Yeah. And as you can see, that that's a tiny piece now. So it started off the work that I was able to make when it was still in one piece. Is very different now to the the prints and the contact prints that I can get from the pieces that are left so I like the idea that the metal has a life after the function that it was intended for and that that life continues to change as it degrades mm-hmm. in the weather so to speak yeah so your actual your tools are evolving at the same time yes. as your designs yeah it's a perfect way to put it yeah definitely they are and I, and I like that because that's another element of uniqueness mm. if that's the word um and also that feeds into this sort of uh, theme of I don't know what I'm going to get um, because it does not the, the pieces don't always print the same way e- each time you use them even if you follow the process exactly sometimes they can be a bit stubborn and not release their marks um, as they did the previous time so I'm, I'm more at the mercy of the tools than the tools are at my mercy if that makes sense. There are two aspects to Tracy's art. Not only does she dye the fabrics using the various methods she described to me, she then goes on to use the fabric employing various stitch techniques as well as making art quilts. Above her dye room is her stitching space where the beauty and precision of Tracy's work blew me away. So this is the stitching space. So this is these are made of my hand dyed, that is. So that's English paper piecing, which I'd never done before. And I'm not very good with hand stitch. So I set myself a challenge like you do, that I would use my hand dyed cloth and um I've got a bit of a thing about hexagons at the moment. So although I love the organic shapes that now other processes give me sometimes i like to go back to circles and squares and hexagons etc so this piece I, I just wanted to use hexagons i don't know why i just had it in my head that i wanted to use hexagons and i wanted something that i could sit watching the telly do mm. um so i chose my color palette i dyed the fabrics and then i cut out using a a dye because if I was cutting all those hexagons by hand... <laughs> yeah, it'd take forever. <laughs> so I, I, and I also wanted to make sure that I could introduce some level of um, accuracy, um, which isn't my strong point, into it as well. So I cut them all up and then um, cut the papers. Use, I used freezer paper uh, rather than oh. card um, because then I could iron it on um, and then fold the edges over. And then it took a long time, best part of last year really, to stitch them all together. So each row 
was stitched and then the rows were stitched together but as you can see it's in purples and two shades of blue greens um, and I tried to dye two different values so you can see the purple there's a darker, ah, purple, a darker purple and then there's more, there's more in, with white and the same for the the, what would be a royal blue and a turquoise and a limey green and an even more limey green. There's two values to each colour. And then um, I'm not very good at making decisions, I have to confess. So you would not believe how long it took me moving those because these were all individual pieces, mm. obviously hexagons, playing about with the placement. So there's what? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. There's ten rows. Um, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen. So there's 15 hexagons in each row, and there's 10 rows of them. So uh, it's not a huge piece, but it's not it's not small either. Yeah, it took a long time to decide how to put those the two the, the four different colours and also the or five different colours and the um, the different colour values together. So I hope it worked. Yeah, it's beautiful. <laughs> the um, colours are so vibrant as well. Yeah, hand dyed hand dyed art cloth tends to to do that as well you can play about with um you know with how you mix the dye and the different colors that you mix you can get you know depending on how you what you mix together and how you mix it you can either have bright colors or you could subdue them a bit so they're a bit more somber mm. um i tend to let these ones just do their thing and see it's more about the texture you can see each hexagon is different even though that bottom row is purple each one is different because it's got different textural elements of Absolutely, it. Absolutely, yeah. Um, and each each hexagon in the whole piece is different, so that makes it a bit busier, <laughs> a bit busier as well. Um, but as, as it stands at the moment, it's hung on my design wall, and I'm, I just come in and look at it, and I haven't managed to decide what to do with it next. That's the joy of doing this kind of thing, though, isn't it? You can just leave it, yes. and then it can evolve when it's ready to. And I I find that's important for me because. Um, I have too many ideas. Um, my motto is uh, not enough lifetimes because I, I haven't got enough lifetime. If I even if I had many lifetimes, it still wouldn't be enough for the volume of ideas that I have, which I don't seem to be able to switch off. Um, so I do very much in the cloth that I make and then when I use the cloth, I have to allow time for... Um, percolation or um, contemplation to and often the pieces will this sounds really really daft but often by just taking a step back and leaving them there often they'll then tell me what I need to do next mm. because once I've put it up and stu stood back from it I'll think oh it's not dark enough oh it needs it needs more stitch oh it doesn't need any stitch or whatever it, the decision might be um, and by taking you know, a bit of time and distance from it it can often make the piece better because your decisions are then better. Yeah, rather than rushing into yeah making a mistake. Yeah. I must admit, I am not quick. Everything I do, you know, there's a ta there's a time element to it. I I do like my contemplation, <laughs> and and that in some ways is a good thing, and in some ways it's not because sometimes you can become immobilized by the d array of decisions in front of you, whereas. If you've got a deadline, sometimes you think, right, I haven't got time to dilly with, dally with this. I'm not dithering. I've just got to make a decision and get it, you know, if it's for an exhibition or a, um, a challenge in a group that you're in or whatever it might be. Um, sometimes the deadlines can 
can prove useful but it's not it's not a way that I would work all the time I don't mm. think my contra- perfectionist control freak streak would uh, cope with the deadline <laughs> deadlines for every piece that I made <laughs> I might make more pieces though if that's that that's the case I, I, I'd probably be more prolific because I'm most definitely not and I'm always in awe of the, you know other people who they go to a you know, a course, or they'll they'll say, "Oh, this is what I'm making," and the next week it's finished. I'm definitely not like that. Um, and these here are some of the pieces of work. These are scarves. Um, so these are printed with leaves from the garden, and I haven't got any up here at the moment. But often what I'll do so this is a work in progress and you can see it's just one layer of um, surface design at the moment but they're all leaves um, that have left their mark on the cloth and that's a whole other area of uh, expertise but often what I'll do is I'll start with the rust and Mm. I'll lay the rust down on the cloth um, and then respond to what I have from that layer of mark making with um, stuff from the garden basically leaves twigs whatever it might be and it grows it grows that way scarves uh hand printed and hand dyed scarves were something that organically came along because people were, loved the cloth and were like oh do you make scarves and you know how these things happen yes um, <laughs> before you know it you're making scarves <laughs> so yeah oh that's beautiful so that's a it's quilted. It is quilted. It is. Isn't this it? is no. this is what basically you would describe as an art quilt. It's not designed uh, or made to to go in a bed, which everybody think you know. Sometimes I think that art quilt or quilts do a disservice to the textile art that's produced as a result of that um, sort of medium or media, if you like. Because people, if you say you make art quilts or you make quilts, they immediately think that you make things to put on a bed. Mm. And there's there's a, such a wealth of talent in the UK for people who are making textile art using quilting. And yet it doesn't get the recognition that it should do, um, which is a great shame. And I think I think the our art scene in the UK are missing out on, on that, really. And if you compare it to the States, they have a completely different mentality completely different mentality when it comes to textiles you know people will buy and and, and put in their collection art quilts and textiles there is no um there isn't the same hierarchy applied Mm. um to textiles and to to art i I would say in the states as we do have here and i think it's a bit self-limiting which is a shame really absolutely so this piece is a work in progress and its sister piece is hung in the other room um and I've only just recently started hanging my work in my own home, which I know sounds really daft, but I was running out of space of storage. This is by, um, this is the quilt wardrobe. Where my oh, wow. finished, finished pieces hang. Um, so that's, a, you know, the piece, similar piece that you saw downstairs, the sort of fire piece that went yes. from purples to magentas. So this is the same dyes, but I manipulated the cloth differently. Mm. And then this is quilted, um, and I matched the thread where I could to the colour changes in the cloth um, that the dye had produced, and it's very heavily quilted with um, free motion quilting. So, you free motion quilting is a technique where you move the cloth underneath a needle, and your feed dogs are down, and you're not restricted to a linear 
direction, if that makes sense. It looks very natural, almost like floral, but not. Yes. Well, because of the um, the sort of visual texture that the dye gives you, um, I tried with the stitching, you can see it probably better here at the bottom, I tried to follow the organic shapes that the dye had left behind and used that as a, a roadmap, really, for the stitching, the direction of the stitching. But it took a lot of um, thread changes, <laughs> colour changes on that one. I'm not surprised. It's absolutely stunning. I set my, That was my lockdown challenge. I um, A lot of my cloth, I fall in love with it and then I, I can't bring myself to cut it up or stitch it or even stitch it. So I have, as you can see, a lot of cloth um, that I take out and I admire it and stroke it and then I put it back and this was one of the first pieces of cloth I ever dyed a long time ago now and during lockdown um, I've got a Facebook group with um, fellow um, quilters and a lot of them who buy my cloth to use in their work and I set them a challenge to use a piece of cloth because everybody says to me oh I love your work but I couldn't cut it up and I thought to myself how can I encourage somebody else to use it <laughs> if I can't br bring myself to do it so I set myself a challenge to use this piece and it was my favourite piece and it was one of the first ones and I was terrified of ruining it so that's why it must have been must be 10 years ago when I dyed that piece Gosh. and it's been admired by me on and off over that t period of time so um, I was quite anxious about I could see the piece in my head but I was quite anxious about how it was gonna well, how it was gonna turn out I can imagine the stakes are high though when you've become so attached to a piece of piece of cloth and you know that there's no way you could re recreate it if yes. something went wrong so you've got to you've got to do it justice, haven't yes. you? Yes. Yeah, that's exactly it. That's it. Because I was thinking, if I if I muck this up, it's not like I can just go to the drawer and get another piece out the same. Um, so I suppose that's an advantage and a disadvantage. <laughs> we shall see. Oh wow, your work's beautiful. Thank you. Now I can imagine you're itching to see all of the beautiful fabrics, colours and quilt projects Tracy described to me and I apologise if you were feeling a bit frustrated that you couldn't see what she was talking about. Well if you take a look at the show notes for this episode on the Making Stitches website you can see some photos of Tracy's work and also there you can find some links to Tracy's website and her social media channels. My sincere thanks to Tracy for allowing me to take a look inside her rooms of requirement and for talking to me about her beautiful work. And if your interest has been piqued about the upcoming Great Northern Textiles show, there are tickets available online now. It's happening on Sunday the 23rd of October at Be Active in Ermston in Greater Manchester, which is right next to Junction 9 of the M60, so it's really easy to get to. There'll be exhibitors from the worlds of yarn craft, textiles, quilting, embroidery, felting, spinning and loads more too. Including local craft guilds who'll be able to help visitors discover new crafts or new techniques to add to their repertoires. I certainly can't wait to go along and see what's on offer. You can find the details for the Great Northern Textile Show in the show notes too. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of Making Stitches podcast. If you enjoyed it, 
please consider sharing it with anyone who you think might enjoy it too or even leave me a review on your favorite podcast app so other people can find the podcast easier in future that's all for this time but i'll be back again in two weeks time with some more inspiring crafty conversation until next time thanks so much for listening stay safe and enjoy your crafting <laughs>